days are getting shorter, Mark. Well, it's baseball time. It's October. That's a lot to be excited about. In my home, there's holidays like early, not too early. So you like the smell it. of like the smell of rotting leaves and listening to Linus <laughs> and Lucy at the right time. Not we're not just there. We're not there just yet. It's not pumpkin spice time yet. I, I I'm, not, I'm not a guy to put uh, anything I'll, in the coffee. Like pumpkin and coffee don't mix, in my opinion. But you know what? I will nostalgically enjoy the occasional pumpkin spice latte and this is about the time it's just crisp enough we're deep enough into the college football season all the little feelings i feel from childhood are probably hijacking my mind and making me super nostalgic so yes i'll do it you're feeling the squeak of your jordans on the basketball court you got just a little bit of that <laughs> you love that one <laughs> i always am ready to be in that flow that's what you learn always ready yeah so jordans don't leave they don't they don't leave uh, black marks on the on the gym floor right Is it, or, or do they they do not no the soles that well that's a that's a whole great thing about nike is is credit to phil knight whatever he did with the waffle iron and whatever magic he did for the soles of shoes basketball courts became squeaky and didn't leave the black mark now call out call out to one of the best biographies I've ever read, surprisingly, I wasn't expecting it, but Shoe Dog is a great biography uh, about Nike really? and about that story. Yeah, great book. That's cool. I can't say I know a lot about the physics of that, but the business side, the, the recent movie Air, fantastic. Well, I, I mean, you pretty much described the whole book with the waffle iron thing, but it, it, it goes into more detail yeah. than that. But, tell, but say more about the movie. Yeah, so, so the story goes... Sonny Vaccaro was working at Nike. They were behind in the arms race for talent. Arms race is probably a bad analogy. The the race <laughs> to sign talent, right? I know. We, we, I care a lot about language, right? I, I think about it probably too much. There's a benefit. We'll get to that. It's, it, it's just funny that you said arms race when it was more like a foot race, right? It, right. You know what? That's right. If you if you ground the analogy, the would the, it would be the race for stars, like getting so one more step back. Getting signed was a big deal growing up, right? Everyone that you know that had talent, oh, is it, could that guy get signed? Whatever it is, skateboarding, BMX, music, basketball. So Nike would try to sign up talent, and the story goes that Sonny Vaccaro noticed something in Michael Jordan and his instincts. This is really the key to this, what I want to get at. His instincts combined what he knew about talent, what he knew about coaching and, and watching a player in a system led him to see, like in a moment, Jordan's the guy. And he basically convinced Phil Knight to go all in to get him. And the whole story is how that happened. As, you know, signing him as their top guy, putting all their eggs in that basket. They needed to beat Adidas and they needed to beat Converse. And sure enough, who is the number one brand, the most bulletproof of brands? And it's a lot about Michael's mom and dad. It's great. Great story. So Matt, Matt Damon. Yeah, there's a good cast, too. So I am very proud to say this is the Punch-Out podcast. And uh, Mark Fideli is the Matt Damon of Wonk podcast <laughs> hosts. Oh, geez. Now you're supposed to say my name. But I don't know if you, oh. do you know how to pronounce my name. <laughs> this is dangerous. Is it is it Kent Gustafson or is it Gustafson? That's nice. 
No, you got it. You got it. You had the gut feel. You nailed it. It's not often we get to say each other's names, but there you go. So that's that's me. I love it. Well, so so Kent Gustafson. And... No, the other, the first one, not the second one. Okay, sorry. So I very good. <laughs> so Kent Gustafson. Well, uh, well, it's funny. I'll come back to something in a minute. Kent Gustafson, PhD. That is not how you present yourself. But what I will say about my friend, as we, it's like scratch and sniff. I'm going to call you scratch and sniff. We, I like this that. Is, we're trying to do as many '80s references as we can, right? So. <laughs> shamelessly gen x podcast all day so when i met kent 15 years ago now or 13 years ago it was one of these instant moments of connection and ever since then i've never asked you how the right way to pronounce your name isn't that funny that's terrible no it's like it's like why why go there you know but it's almost like we've known each other on the equivalent of the basketball court where you just imagine that for that many years, yeah. you never say each other's names. Like, who needs to know Michael Jordan's name if you're on the basketball court? You only need to know his name yeah. if it's a branding issue, right? Exactly. You know what? That's a huge point. But uh, I won't go there about names. I love it. Welcome to the Punch-Up Podcast. We're doing the thing uh, with each other again here, which is great. We're punching each other up. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun one. I like that we've started with the idea of signing up talent where you were talking about how do they sign up talent for Nike? Um, but kind of, isn't that what we're doing all day, every day, signing up talent to be our friends, to be our coworkers, to do anything else, to, to be with us in the same cause. Love it. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, what opens up in my head when I think about that are sort of two things, and I'll we'll punch back and forth as, as long as you want on this topic. But I, I, my first thought is the internet is disruptive and continues to be disruptive as a social platform, just like broadly, not social media. I just mean the nature of the internet is connection, right? Network effects. Anybody that's been in Washington and its matrix, like we talked about last time, it is a very, the word is stovepiped or siloed world. I like stovepiped. Really narrow. I've heard siloed for yeah. years. Stovepiped, that's a thing? That's a thing, right? So it usually refers to organizational structures and data. So the data that any of those organizations I mentioned last time, NIH, FDA, Department of Defense, but within the Department of Defense is the Army. Within the Army, there's G4 logistics, there's G2 intelligence, all these layers upon layers and that data is not connected the internet inherently is sort of horizontal and connective tissue like more like your brain than like silos where you know that's the corn and that's the barley and that's the wheat each thing is its own pristine collection the internet is a place where talent can connect obviously because it's cross-organizational just by how it is so you have these two worlds always colliding and, you know, for lack of a better word, what you want to do when you're finding talent is you assume that the silos and the stovepipes miss a ton of things and there's talent everywhere. And if you're out on the Internet trolling around or commenting or setting up your own YouTube channel or running a podcast with your friend on the other side of the world, you're essentially creating like these connections of talent where you're doing something new. And stovepipes and organizations do not allow that. Like, that's the fundamental flaw is, is that. Wow. So I love the idea of signing up talent 
because for me, everyone's implicated by these big decisions that Washington makes. That's my, that's why I'm here on the punch up is to punch up into the noise of the matrix of Washington language, right? There's just silos and stovepipes and, and this natural human tendency to say, Hey, if you don't talk like us, kind of, we're going to keep you at arm's length. That blocks out a lot of ideas, but it also blocks out the people that are impacted by the decisions. So, so let's go, let's, it's good. It's a chance to go meta. Let's talk about flow. The Jordan conversation that we've been having, like why it matters so much. My friend, Mark Vansel, what a great guy. I met him again. We're trying to hire or sign up talent. Well, sometimes you meet authentically amazing people that are just, if you're there to do business and you run into each other, it's a connection through a friend or whatever. Suddenly you realize there's a lot that you have in common, a lot of good overlap in terms of your interests, your agenda as a business. And so so Mark and I have made a run at a couple different he's he's an OG like market intelligence, business intelligence guy who's been uh, a storyteller for years, was a reporter, was in the last dance, the Jordan documentary covered Michael. But when I met him, it, we weren't talking about any of those things. We were talking about how do you get value out of publicly available data? How do you read it? And so his amazing talent, which I think he did learn from Michael, is how to flow mentally, meaning just like when you're in the basketball game playing at your best without thinking, you're just doing it. Your, your training, your skills, your perception are all honed for the, for the task, trying to win. You're, you're balling. He sort of breaks down what he does very much about strategic perception. And then he uses his methodology to fill that in. So when you're looking for talent in the, you know, Gen X career window, meaning we've been in the world of enterprise software, the internet has come along, it is far surpassed like commercial capabilities. What I mean is such a government language. But the way businesses use tech and the way consumers use tech, businesses were way ahead. IBM, Oracle. SAP, others ran a very siloed world of IT when my career started. All these years later, the connectivity of the internet, the sort of apps, the security, the big five platforms, Apple, AWS, Amazon, uh, Google, you know, even Facebook and the, the Fang world, right? Like Netflix, they've done different things than traditional IT that have made it disruptive to any silo. And so if you're working in the siloed world and everyone is using their specialized language to say their powerful points and justify their budgets and their projects, they're kind of only speaking to people that know their specialized language. The internet connects that, i.e., everything inside the matrix of Washington to the whole rest of the world, but Washington doesn't really know it. So Mark and I, Mark Vance and I have had this long conversation of how do banks, world leaders, entrepreneurs, investors who think a certain way about the world, how do you get them to interact inside the matrix of Washington so that there's much more connectivity? Because I think there's a lot of reason for those groups to work together. Instead, it goes through lobbyists, it goes through K Street, it doesn't go through what we were talking about, sort of talent finding talent. 
And the internet has been superb at doing that over the last five, 10 years. The millennial generation has made a whole career on the word platforming as a verb, right? They platform each other. And those types of boosts don't happen so much where it needs to happen in Washington. That analog, or we say legacy way of thinking where it just doesn't happen, like, and they miss a chance to flow. They miss a chance to think clearly, to play at the highest level with the most recent information because the IT systems absolutely shut them down. They just don't, and it's not even an option, right? Like they don't even think that they can, well, I shouldn't say they, that's too broad of a statement. The culture still leans legacy. It doesn't lean digital. It leans leans stovepiped. And that's a fundamental flaw if we're going to be strategic. And so that's that's what I care about. So if you took Mark Fideli and Michael Jordan, and you said these two guys are going to play basketball, but they're going to do it in a silo, it would be the most ridiculous thing you've ever seen to put a basketball hoop in a silo with Fideli oh and Jordan trying to play. I mean, Jordan would win, there's no doubt, uh, no matter how old and how uh, whatever un unpracticed he is. But that whole siloing doesn't make sense, right? There's no freedom, there's no right. space, there's no flow, there's nothing there. It's just a yeah, restrictive walls. Yes, exactly. And, and, you know, you could just say guys on the NBA level and guys on the street level, what's common between them, I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm taking seriously your point, right, is the best way to play basketball is in a flow state, not a rigid siloed state. And that's how to lead the world too. Now, let's say that, let's say, let's, let's go 3D and let's say that that silo has no gravity and you put a kid, Oh, geez. you've put a 12 year old who's gr grown up in no gravity against mm -hmm. Jordan who grew up in gravity, but Jordan in his best. And you put them in an actual silo with no gravity in it. And there's, there's two basketball hoops in it. Who would win? <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, of course, my mind is like, well, there's an actual answer to that. But, but <laughs> here's what I'd say. If you do a matrix approach to this, and this is a video game, and that's like, you know, NBA Live meets Roblox or something, <laughs> then whoever has the best controller, and <laughs> of course, now we're absurd. But, but that's, yeah, that's the best I could do. So flow and talent. Um, yeah. it, it all depends on the context. It depends on what silo we're talking about, depends on how networked all of the silos are, depends on what the internet is. I mean, the interconnectedness of things is, right? And if you know the internet is still not reality, theoretically, it's connected to reality, but it still doesn't have the same number of dimensions as whatever it is we're living in, theoretically. So if we're looking at all of that, that crazy landscape we're living in that's just going to get crazier. What kind of talent are we looking for in the second half of our lives? Yeah, that's great. So you get me a very sort of transparent moment. So I'm just going to use not my podcast voice. I'm not projecting, right? I'm not, here's my opinions, which is so natural to do. I had a meeting with somebody this week. Means this person has been a mentor. You know, means a lot to me. Joe has, Biden has been down the path. <laughs> no, uh, has been down the path. A, a few degrees of separation, but not that many actually in cool. in the world of government. And this person reminded me that no matter what we do to make the world better, there's the next problem. So 
It's not midlife crisis to realize you can't save the world like you thought you did as a kid and had all that energy, that entrepreneurial spirit or the spirit that brings you to Washington. And back to our point last time about running the design of the system versus being overly pragmatic and bending the system to your interests. Being an idealist is hard. It's also that's also going back a couple episodes even towards the you know how are we how are we waging war or how are people waging war now right is it is it with yeah. the robot versions of of drones and this and that and like what's the human side of all yeah. that right so you're you're digging into some real real world real world problems with that question yeah, yeah. thank you so so for me personally right like this is what I love about podcasts they reward an honest voice they reward an ability to just be yourself because the audience knows with a level of resonance that's so human if you're full of shit or not right like <laughs> or if you're just talking from the heart <clears throat> or if you're trying to platform and like calculate back to what i was saying so to play the board i'm going to use tom barnett's our, our first guest to play the board rather than to be a player a merely a player why i love jordan is because his brand is enduring and what he we still haven't cracked the code on how he perceived the world and we can there's things we can draw from it ultimately no one can articulate to somebody else like jordan could never say it in a way that would absolutely convey it because each of us are unique like we're this is really deep stuff when it comes down to how do we perform at our optimal level? And what do we do when we see somebody who's so transcendent? And we try to be transcendent in our own space and find our own flow. But but as a nation, there's a flow that we can attain if we if we work with the design we're given and and play the board. In other words, the United States as a system compared to China as a system, compared to the EU as a system. If we think as maturing adults and not as sort of reactive kids who don't want to be on the front page of the New York Times or the Washington Post that's or the Wall Street Journal. That's like legacy fear. Still in, in deep in government, people don't want to be talked about like embarrassingly, which creates Office of Inspector General report. Like it, it creates a whole backlash if you say one wrong thing or do one wrong thing. So people are gun shy. They hide in their silo and they justify their existence for budget. That's a common, common motivation. What I'm saying is, in this conversation I had with this other person, they challenged me, don't, don't look at where you are in life as a midlife crisis. Like, not podcasting and, and getting your thoughts out to scratch some deep itch. It's actually a career pivot. Because you've earned it. You've been around enough. You see things. You don't see everything. No one sees everything. So the search for talent is a search for allies. So are you, are you saying to our listeners that either we are the coolest thing you've ever done or we're your midlife crisis? Was that what you just laid out? I'm saying it's both. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time. I mean, I... It, I, who knows? I don't even know why I do what I do anymore on some level. And I'm not trying to know. I'm trying to be great at it, whatever it is. But you're not going to hide in your solo. You're, you're solo. You're not going to hide in your silo. Yeah. You're still silo. Fine. Well, that's the solo in the silo. Like that could be a song. <laughs> yeah. You get to an age where 
I'm not going to change the world the way I thought I would as a kid. My ideals run into reality. But the option to tap out and just be like, well, then I'm going to become cynical and make as much money goes to that flaw of calculative thinking that's going to use the system, sort of the who gets what piece, right? Getting what you want out of it. There's a stewardship thing that comes from knowing, you know, you're passing on, you're handing off something to future generations. And so what the reason I guess I'm belaboring this is is what I want to say that I've never been able to in my job say fully, but only at a couple different points, which were rewarded by saying we should, you know, think about doing these these things dramatically differently. I do believe we should do certain things dramatically differently because twenty five hundred years of analog legacy culture defined very much by the written word has created a what we call a, a, a media ecology to borrow from Marshall McLuhan and Neil Postman, a media ecology of the eye of EYE of, of seeing, observing Descartes called it sort of stepping back and, and abstracting, or at least his thinking went that way, but more up-to-date you know, phenomenology or philosophy says, no, we see best as we press in and we find our flow in the middle of the unknown, not in the abstract. That's the difference between calculative thinking and the the way Marshall McLuhan said it is this change from 2,500 years of writing to now electronic media, which we can update digital media, is a pivot from fundamentally perceiving with your eyes. Now it's your ears. Now, how do you say that? How do you say that in a, in a job? Hey, everybody. So my midlife crisis is, hey, I'm waving the white flag. I have failed to ever get traction with the idea that this fundamental change that's coming, and it's indeed here with the rising of the millennials and, and my kids, Gen Z, or the homelanders, I've never been able to convey it in a way that's concise enough. Folks are like, Mark, you're, you're, you're elaborate. You're just like, I, you're losing me. And, and of course, it's, it's been hard for me to get my arms around this phenomenon. But it, if you just keep the simple observation, we went from an age, 2,500 years of the eye, to now this new phase of the ear, of listening, of, of connecting, of being less certain of ourselves. What I'm saying is that type of perception is a more sound way of doing national strategy than the traditional Napoleonic, Clausewitzian, back to names, way of marshalling all of the forces of the country towards certain goals. Like that's an industrial model. It's not a digital model. So how, how do I say that? Well, I guess I start a podcast and say, I failed to make an impact inside the silos. So thank God for the, the internet. People can come out, make their point. That's my point. My kids are digital natives. They're opted out of the silos. They don't even understand it. Problem is the American system, the design of it, to me is sacrosanct. If you get that wrong, the future of the world, it sort of hangs in the balance, right? Like you got, we got to convert young people into the kinds of citizens who steward the design, the original design of the system, the best parts of it, the spirit of 76, right? That, that all men are created equal and are endowed with their, by their creator with certain inalienable rights, dot, dot, dot. That's the flow. So finding that in your job, people will get that. It's an ear thing. Like I'm kicking it right now to you. It's, we're just talking. But I think if somebody's listening, our listeners, they should be like, all right, 
most people know enough about the founding. Most people know, they hear the founding fathers, they, they have mixed feelings. They think, oh, these racists, but they also know, no, they, if, if they were full-on racist, there wouldn't have been the Civil War. Full-on racist meaning, you know, Jamar Tisby had a great post this week about what's Alexander Stevens. Now, who is the vice president of the Confederacy? But his, his whole argument for the South is slavery is the foundation of our way of life, our society. Right. So it wasn't like the framers started there, but they allowed it. They allowed it to persist. And so that has made a lot of people tap out in addition to polarization, in addition to the matrix of Washington is impenetrable language. So I'm trying to fix that. How, how do I do that? I, I'm in a midlife crisis, you could say, or a career pivot. So if you look at the all of that just tickles my brain. It was interesting. Um, your approach yeah. is long form. So if people want to see yeah. a musical version of Mark Fideli, go check out Coltrane Live, his live records. He'll play one tune for 70 minutes. He's exploring all the little pieces of one song, right? Inside it, going deep, going around in circles in different ways. Um, and a lot of people think that yes. way. I think long form's coming back in some ways. However, I, I want to kind of go and talk about publishing for a second because... Mm -hmm. What, what you're talking about, 20, 2,500 years of history. That 2,500 years of history is a drop in the bucket for how long humans have existed, theoretically. Right? So we've been telling stories since the beginning. I always say oog and boog. They were telling stories before they even had language. These, these, these people mm. were like mm -hmm. doing gesticulations. They were singing. They were motioning to one another. They were painting on cave walls. There were all kinds of things happening early, right? Yep. In stuff. Then we organized language in such interesting ways, right? So we get scrolls, we get papyrus, we get all these innovations that allow us to write stuff down. The codex is fascinating because the codex allowed mm -hmm. us to have something like Christianity, where you are comparing yeah, literature right. from one to the left, to the from left to right. You got this old one, you got this new one. You can do comparative analysis. Fascinating. It's then you got Luther, who's like, "Hey, we're going to print stuff using this new press," and and all of a sudden, it was off to the races. We're kind of, in some ways, marking the end of that era with things like ChatGPT, where content can be generated by the collective consciousness through something like ChatGPT. It's a few years delayed, but mm -hmm. it's kind of in some ways the death knell of publishing because you're at the end of this whole thing about how do you create content. But now we have this new ability because of the internet and because of the untethering of things and because of audio and all that stuff, we're back to the cave drawing. We're back to the storytelling. We're back to the singers singing. The bards, That's people right. jumping up and down, kids saying, how do you identify, right? Kids saying, what is my story? It's like a lot of that sort of stuff that got published and set down in stone. It's now yep. being un, undone in a way that maybe gives us some potential. Deconstructed is a, is a term that people use now when they try to do that to expose the flaws in whatever system or whatever. But you're talking about something that's even deeper than that. You can unring a bell. Yeah. All you do is play the recording backwards, right? It's not hard. I love this. So what you've tickled in my mind, I'll say a couple things back. Number one, the, of the points that come to mind, the most urgent one is 
if we go back to cave drawings, the thing today's older generations should care about, the thing as American citizens, is algorithms and the influence of people's minds, perceptions. If we don't get the conversation going around that in a multi-generational way, we're at risk of what Plato said, people living inside the cave walls manipulated by the fake cave drawings. <laughs> That's what television is, right? Television is that. It's not it's it's the most efficient way of putting the cave wall drawings up in front of people in their home so they're not out reading, thinking, talking, traversing their own western biases to perceive through stories what is deeper than literacy in its manipulative form, literacy and electronic media. There's a manipulative form of every media. Peter Fallon has a great book. I was looking over at it. It's called Propaganda 2.1. Highly, highly recommend it. Understanding Propaganda in the Digital Age. Peter Fallon is a true media ecologist. Like he's, from, he's from the Lance Strait, Marshall McLuhan train of thought. Love it. People are not going to easily grasp what he's saying, but here's what I'll say. People won't. People will easily grasp what he's saying if they slow down and, and let his deeper points resonate. They, they should, everyone should read it. Here's back to finding talent and, and publishing. Of the five or six points that you made about sort of coming to the end of the sidewalk, the end of the 2,500-year reign of literacy, we can run it back. We can think about Martin Luther not as, gee, and this is my upbringing, I have to agree with him on salvation by faith alone, the sola scriptura, the sola doctrines. Like all my focus when I was young and in, in this spiritually formative era, afraid for heaven and hell to, you know, my life to fall in the balance on the wrong side, all that apocalyptic stuff made me run to Luther for what he was looking for too, apparently, like to assuage a fearful conscience, God's wrath, right? Like that's that's a real thing, right? That that people feel, and I'm not saying it is or isn't true. I'm I'm actually talking about perceptions. To look at Luther as the foundational figure of democratizing a spiritual worldview through the writing and publishing, through the efficiency of the printing press, the vernacular Bible. And getting what you could say, everyone on the same page. Luther was literally solo in a silo, like late at night, like obsessed <laughs> yeah, with yeah. God's wrath, thinking, "Oh my gosh, how do I, how do I do the right thing?" He was stuck in that silo until yeah. he stepped out. And something happened. Yeah, I'm reading a wonderful book by Karen Swallow Pryor called "The Evangelical Imagination," and she's talking about. This is going to sound negative. The fixation with conversion. Fixation doesn't necessarily, it's not wrong if conversion is the ultimate question. You better be obsessed with it, right? Like, I'm not weighing in on that right now. I'm saying as a social phenomenon, people in open air, out of the silo, open air awakenings, or I should say, open air revival movements were the medium, just like a printing press. It was a communication medium that broke open the American experience because people of different faith backgrounds had come here. They needed to survive and work together. And suddenly, conversion conversion meetings, 
the Great Awakening, and then a second Great Awakening happened here, and it was like the internet, like it's oral. These were stories. It's also like basketball. So, I mean, the Bulls were kind of like the Great Awakening for basketball. I mean, then you had the Dream Team. Okay. You had right the Dream Team. So the whole world opened up to basketball in that era. So what I am circling the drain on with you to get to is there's an apocalyptic kind of mindset. Doesn't doesn't circling the drain mean about to die? Okay, yeah. So we're talking <laughs> before we die, before I die. So so I'm I'm speaking right now. As soon as we hit save and publish, my voice is out there. Pretend <laughs> I get hit by a bus tomorrow. No, it's right. It's true. Yeah. What's the legacy? So if you are an author, if you are a thinker, if you have a book, I can tell you from my experience, it is hard to get that out if you're not in a silo, if you're not in a platform, or if you haven't gotten an internet foundation. But tons of people in Washington are the most expert, thoughtful, prudent, meaning they weigh both sides of any argument, articulate, did I already say that? And they know, I think, what I know right now, personally, is that Washington is not going to solve all the problems, but we need it. It's not running ideally, but it's the system we have. It's the system, it's the army you go to war with. But there are ways, as internet natives come of age, they are disrupting 2,500 years and opting into something that's more fundamental, storytelling. And they can get out of the cave wall world of television and polarization and all the media formats that chase Trump because Trump is pure money. He's the dopamine trigger on the left or right that gets people's attention. And so I was in news. That was my first job. It turned me off so hard because it's all about steering eyeballs. Now algorithms come along. Somehow that's my job too, right? Steering eyeballs. But that's manipulative. So I have to, I have to jump in on that because the concept yeah. of steering yeah. eyeballs, uh, I just had this graphic thing just fly through yeah. my head. I was just as if as if you're uh, a cowboy or, or a cow person uh, steering eyeballs, you know, as <laughs> down the street. Right. So so a, a media platform is finite. No matter what it is, it's going to steer attention. The best we have is our ear. This is back to the point. So if, if you're listening and this resonates with you, the American Strategy Press is Mark and Kent's. Really, thank you for helping me. This is Mark's meager attempt to help people with great ideas, publish a book, get their story out, contribute to this serious conversation about, well, what we're hearing right now, what people are talking about right now is Middle East, China, AI. What are the other hot topics? Uh, kids. The, the, what <laughs> Kids, right? Yeah. We came out of COVID, pandemics. There's a way, I believe, the human mind and soul has been endowed with one of our inalienable rights that's tied to free speech is to not have your eyeballs steered, <laughs> to opt out. And the best way I know to do that is to speak back into the cave from outside the cave, the metaphor being each of us in our own way have some enlightenment to contribute. And I want to be about that. I don't know how else to do it other than I'm a media ecology guy at heart, set up a simple platform to give folks a way to publish their ideas. So we want to draw any with the least amount of value judgments placed on them, right? Give people room to say what they've been thinking and hearing and add to the conversation. And so 
This podcast has two goals. Let me jump yeah, in there one before you finish it out. So the thinking about the cave wall, thinking about the publishing platform, American Strategy Press, all that. I want to jump in there and think about branding because we're in the age, you were talking about the kids, the, the young people are, yeah. they live in a world of personal branding. Everything is about personal branding. So thinking about just the term branding, I've always thought about the brutality of it because you would brand items, animals, and humans. Jesus. Right? Yes. That's what branding is. That's the history of branding. Yeah. That's what branding is. That's the language of so it. So when you were in Babylon, when you were in the ancient these ancient places, and you're next to the ship, you're whatever, there's this concept of what is the brand. You've got the, the guy hucking the wares right at the ship, whatever, right? It's someone doing marketing and all of that. But the branding is, this mm. is mine. What's interesting about personal branding is that we're back to Babylon, but it's personal ownership. And people are actually doing a lot more tattooing, which I'm not a big fan of, but I get it, mm -hmm. right? And But there's this, yeah. what is my brand? I own it. It's mine. I am going to be a brand. I'll be myself out for the world. And I think in that era, we need people of our generation and older to come in with the wisdom and say, this is my brand. And it's nasty and dirty and real in that environment where also the kids are saying, this is who I am, but maybe yeah. they don't have the wisdom and depth yet. I, so, so if you say Web3 is built on the idea of protecting the individual from the outside system, so thinking blockchain, thinking crypto, thinking NFT, I don't know that world that well, but I certainly know that if when I go to the IDC conference or a Gartner conference and they're talking about Web3 as if that's so real, but it's nascent and it's emergent, and I think of young kids opting in, they will find a way to make that the future default, the future status quo. And if there's pure individualism, a purely atomistic future, like you're talking about, where everybody's brand is like, this is me, it certainly feels dystopian if you push that too far. Now, the other side, having Xi Jinping surveil the whole world, and like Tom Barnett on our first episode said, he wants a score for every individual. So if that's the other extreme of sort of global autocracy, like a pure dictatorship, this is why you read philosophy, because the one and the many problem and form and matter problems are what we're thinking about. You need to write, read, reflect, talk. And I would challenge anybody who wants to personally brand themselves. You've got to think about yourself and what's unique in you and your contribution to the collective, because it's a team effort to build a system like the framers did that can protect individual liberties and rights and still solve problems, but not so efficiently that when solving them, you create an overblown, overgrown government that the next thing it can do is take over. The brilliance of that cannot be lost is, is, is what Lincoln said, freedom of, by, and for the people cannot perish from the earth, right? That was the proposition that the Civil War to him was about. Can we improve? Not where the founders right. Lincoln was like, yeah, they had enough and we've improved. Now can we improve again? And so that's that's the brand I want to be about. I don't know if that vibes with others, but that that's Mark's midlife crisis brand right there. It's just helping others that maybe feel like, you know what, I might not solve all my ideal or 
solve the problems in this idealistic way, but realistically, I can be part of this handoff, like you're talking about, Kent, of the wisdom of this 2,500 years, which is an accumulation of a lot of wisdom, handed over to these digital natives who maybe are leaning dystopian while rejecting authority for good reason, because authority seems offensive to them. And that, inside of that sweet spot, that's where I think the end of the sidewalk goes and what, then what what we got to take flight like we there's mj right like we we got to do something here and i love to hear what others have to say about that so come to american strategy press keep coming back to this podcast that's what you want to talk about i think part of the danger of the young generation and every young generation is the so web3 is both dystopian and communal the fascinating thing about it just mm. like everything just like when the framers were writing things right there were these they had it was literally there are two paths in the wood right like which way are we going to go i think that the young the young ceos that are doing web3 and all that the tech geniuses they need the guidance of the wise people they need guidance of humanists they need the guidance of government people who have been in it forever who are in their freaking silos get out of your silo start informing tech start informing the kids be on the same team and, and I don't know, push each other to your limits, right? Put your Jordans on, start squeaking. Yeah. And so if we go back to Jordan, the end game is we're on a team, we're stepping on the basketball court, the problems, like we, you just go to war with the army you have, or you, you play with the five that are with you. But there is something, when you step inside the music, I think Coltrane probably experienced this, it's endlessly enriching. And I think just by leaning into problem solving in this multi-generational way where we're perceiving the communication environment around us without having our eyeballs steered, without reacting, you know, January 6th style, all of that, we need to back the fuck up, man. Holy cow. People need to turn it way down and use our peaceable means of communicating and thinking to soften this whole thing. because. People are going to get harmed if civilization doesn't get reformed or if it gets destroyed in this changeover to the digital natives. And and the sacrosanct thing, the Stradivarius, is that design that can be improved. So I got to go. We we just do this. We do this on this this show, which is fun. But I'm going to do one more loop. Why not? I was a big fan of Luke Longley as a kid. I think he was at the Timberwolves, if yes. I remember right. And he, he wasn't very effective. Well, he was with the Bulls, yeah. But he right. well, before right, right. the Bulls, he wasn't very effective. Got you. Showed up on the Bulls, and he was unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. Rod, Rodman was really interesting. And then he ended up on the Bulls, mm. and he was unstoppable, right? How about yeah. Scottie Pippen, one of my childhood heroes? Yeah. Why, why was he so... So all yes. different... Right. Those are all different teams around the same concept, the same team, except Rodman had all kinds of piercings and, and edgy stuff. And Longley was yeah, this- Yeah, he had his mental issues and- Longley was this yeah. giant freaking Australian guy, right? Like th- these are these people yeah. who were not necessarily cut from the same cloth, not necessarily the same school of thought, and yet they somehow worked together. Jordan was part of that magic, right? But so was the so was the coach, so was the- concept. So Jackson, yeah, there is available to us as analogy of what you just said. This is Mark's belief. This is, this is why flow 
is what we talk about here, like as a, our obsession. When playing, when doing the thing mindfully, and that can be your job, that can be at home, when you're leaning into this spirit of freedom as a team, when you realize that's the background playing, it's the background rhythm of life, you can be free, you can do more, you can improve, do it together. There are these, if we're solicitous of them, Krista Tippett talks about this. The story of us is pain and promise. We know the pain. You have to keep, I'll add play, pain, promise, and play. You have to be willing to play. You have to get in the game. The American system is participatory. It's not to be siloed so that others run everything and do all the decision-making because then you end up with lobbyists and K Street and left and right taking ownership. There has to be some way of claiming the system as ours on behalf of these certain values. And I don't know how to do that other than to first get people to realize that this is an option for them in their job, in their life, day to day. And it is. I've lived it. I've found it. I've chosen it. It's at cost. It is at cost to mindfully engage the ideas of these old, old heads. But, and fortunately, it was my education, so that got me a huge start, four years focused on that, and grad school focused on that. If I can give a skill, here it is, contextual dexterity, the ability to, to appreciate Rodman on his own terms, bring him into the team. Appreciate Luke Longley on his terms, bring him into the team. Jordan, we're here to win, flex. I'm the, I'm the alpha, okay, great. If another alpha came along, I don't think Jordan would have had a problem yielding because James Worthy was the alpha on Dean Smith's team. But he became the alpha, and he just took it. Okay, fine. That's the model. Be you where you are, and use lateral thinking, my form of that contextual dexterity. So go from silo to silo, place to place that you're in, appreciate its key features, and then add your stuff. And draw from that into you, pass it on, cross-pollinate. That's really what that is. And that's a skill you can develop for this intersection of legacy silo world, 2,500 years, and then this new world. Um, and we're in it. It's digital. Like it's, it's been our whole career evolving. It's not like it's so new that we don't have handles on it. But there's a whole new phase when the digital natives take over. And that's what we got to get ready for. That's the handoff between those two eras. And contextual dexterity is Mark's skill I've developed, my flow state of swinging between, hey, I'm in the basketball court at the gym with the coach. Now I'm on the basketball court. I'm the one white guy. Now I'm on the basketball court. It's like all these, you know, sort of goof off kids just playing ball for fun, wreck. All the different forms of basketball that I experience are my analogy of life. That's how I meet people. And so I work on my skill. I was a good shooter, damn good shooter at my best. But it was the game that I cared about, not just shooting. And that's, that's the analogy. I was just, I was just tall. That was my basketball skill. It, yeah. it didn't get me too that's far. All, but, <laughs> but you got on the court. Like, yeah. so me and you could talk about this. That's all you, it, it gave you a whiff and like probably a short amount of time. And right. And now you know, you get what I'm saying. It got me, um, 
some amazing experiences, uh, just like a lot of things where you, you get a chance to, to be among people who are not like you. And I, you know, if you step Amen. onto a basketball Amen. court anywhere, you run into people who might be middle-aged dudes trying to still play. It might be 12-year-olds playing better than you'll ever play. It might be people jumping over the top of you. All good. That's a, I yeah. think it's a great analogy. So I want to push to the ending here, which I think is kind of, we, we are sort of calling for voices, uh, to be honest, uh, and signing yeah. up talent and thinking where can people be punching up in a way. Exactly. So we have two outlets. Obviously, you know, we reach out to guests. Kent and I have friends. We're, we, we love different types of people coming together, interviews, panels. So on this podcast, we're going to have those. If you want to be part, if you have something to say, Kent, what's the easiest way to get, get in touch with us on, on our show ideas and collaborations? We're both easy to find on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah Mark Fidelli, Kent Gustafson. Find us on LinkedIn. That's definitely the best place. And, and I will be posting a bit more on LinkedIn about this show. The second is American Strategy Press. So you can go to AmericanStrategyPress.com. That is a platform, a labor of love, if you will, meaning we're building it and they will come. We believe that there are people who have a book in them and they need to get it out. A physical, tangible book. They've been working on it. The power of the book. Yeah. You've got a the ox blood and you got the cave wall sitting there and and unlike sort of the plato like bad version of this let's yeah. punch back on that and say no no you you're not able to to share your story and now i'm going to freaking share my story for the next 2500 years here we go right yeah and, and credit to you kent the skeleton method this thing that you've developed and used which i've run through to get a manuscript it's the real deal, right? Like, because you're drawing out of people who they are, what they are, and asking them questions in a way that we will facilitate getting a great book out of people if they already have it in them. And that's the qualifier. Like, if you're thinking about it, that's not, we're really the last mile. And that's why we could do it really efficiently. And it's not really a, just a great book that kind of like on this show where I, mm -hmm. I give Mark a hard time and vice versa. And when people come on here, we're, we can't wait to talk with you, but <laughs> with anybody, when you come on here, we want to yeah, say, what, what's the thing that nobody else is, what, what's the thing that I can't type into ChatGPT and get some automatic prompt back? Say that, right? Give us some wisdom. That's what yeah. we're trying to capture from in these books too. Love it. Yeah. So if that's interesting, American Strategy Press, if this is interesting, keep listening, give us good rating. That's all nice. I don't care about steering eyeballs to us. I could give a damn about manipulating algorithms. I care about what this system in our country could do for the world, good or bad. And I think it's, a, it's, a, it's an instrument worth playing right. <laughs> and if that vibes with you, come on out. American Strategy Press, meet us on LinkedIn. We'll talk soon.